How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. Hey there, Disney Files. Thanks for tuning in. Just a little warning that whilst we like to keep things bright and light here at Dissecting Disney Ditties, occasionally we do drop in a bad word or two. So if you're listening at home or in the car with the kidlets, you might want to listen to this later. Enjoy. We'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet to record today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay our respects to elders past and present. Ladies and gentlemen, the president will now be here to answer any questions. Well, thank you all for coming. I, I do have time for a couple of questions. Over here, Mr. President. Mr. President. Mr. President. Mr. President. Uh, you, yeah, you there. Stackers from CNN. The people want to know, what is the best Disney song? That's all the time I have for today. Thank you very much. Mr. President, you, you, can't, you can't walk away from this. Mr. President. Hello, hello. It's welcome to Dissecting Disney Ditties with Stackers and Will. I'm Stackers. And I'm Will. And on this show, we will be taking each Disney classic and breaking it down song by song in an attempt to answer the impossible question. What is the best Disney song? No more questions, please. No more tests. Comes the day you say what for, please, no more. That was unfair. <laughs> <laughs> um, just for context purposes, unfortunately, we lost Stephen Sondheim this week and uh, I said to Staggers as she walked in, I've got a good one, I've got a good one, and she's now crying. So <laughs> <laughs> That was so unfair, I was not prepared. Uh, how you been, Staggers? Well, I'm not okay now. Yeah, um, I know. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I, I'm good. I'm uh, I'm feeling very overwhelmed with uh, life going back to normal mm. and you yep. know gigs and shows and you know I sort of look and go, this was what my life was like. If not, it used to be busier. But I don't feel quite prepared to yeah, look yeah. at my diary and go, you want to get dinner in like six weeks? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually had a very similar experience because I was just trying to find a time to just chill out in a weekend, and I'm like, oh no, fuck, they're all completely full now because that's what life is. Yeah. Oh, uh. it hurts to be popular. <laughs> um, you know what? we got Omicron picking its, like, variant head oh, over I the don't hill. Know. I don't so want to know. We'll wait and see what 2022 I brings. I don't want to know. I, um, I finally got around to watching, and I, I'm hoping I say this right, but Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi in the Ten Rings. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I think yeah. Shang-Chi is a really Australian way of saying Yeah, it, probably, in the, yeah. In the movie they say really fast and it almost sounds like C. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, apologies. <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah, um, yeah. Have you seen it? I have, yeah. What did you think? I really liked it. I think that a lot of the, the fight scenes are shot almost like old Jackie Chan movies. Just uh -huh. they, they feel very, like, extravagant and, like, there's a lot of, like, really... 
large arm movements, you know, and, and like sweeping things like that. I thought, um, yeah, like it was enjoyable. I th- it was actually our first movie out of lockdown too, so it might have it might have even felt even more so just because we were out. Did you see the, the driving? No, I saw it at the driving. Oh, okay, right. yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. Whoa, what did you think of it? I hated it. Um, oh, really? <laughs> I actually, I, I've been wanting to watch it for ages, and just as we we're about to press play, I said, "I'm actually concerned because." I feel like no one is talking about this movie. Yeah. yeah. And that's weird mm. for a Marvel film. Um, I actually, I'm a huge fan of Kim's Convenience, the series, and mm. he is, he plays Jung in that. He's the brother yeah. um, of the main girl whose name completely escapes me. Um, and so it was weird seeing him as like a superhero. I'm like, no, he's yeah. like a fun, dorky guy <laughs> next door. Um, but I just found that... And this was uh, something that Tim kind of pointed out. It went from he's an ordinary, everyday guy to all of a sudden he's got magnificent cosmic power. And there was no, like, training for it. Mm, It was just kind of like, here you go, you're a superhero now. And we felt that was very just kind of smooshed together, like get to the action. I don't know. Like it didn't flesh it out enough almost. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It just didn't. No, it didn't wow me, I okay. guess. Yeah, nah, fair enough. I feel like it's a good sort of door opening to the next phase of Marvel maybe, so maybe they'll take some time and flesh it out later. I don't know. But, yeah, no, that's fair enough. I I saw, speaking of Sondheim, Tick, Tick, Boom. Oh, ha- yeah. Have you seen Tick, Tick, Boom? Hell, yeah, I've seen Tick, Tick, Boom. loved that movie See, that's a movie so people much. were talking about. Yeah, so I was like, yeah. oh, I guess I better say it. I, um, I, I loved it so much and I, I just... Yeah, it, it gives me hope that maybe we'll see more of those weird little Broadway musicals that m- people might not have seen or might not have heard as much about. Maybe we'll see those uh, trans- transferred to stage or even into film like this one was. And it's just um, it's just such a celebration of theatre and, and all the things that we kind of have lost over the last couple of years. Um, yeah, it, it was wonderful. I loved it. Yeah, I had no idea he'd be able to sing like he did. Yeah, Andrew Garfield, yeah. amazing. I if if the world is just, he will win the Oscar. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't think the world is just. Yeah, so. no, he did a, he did an amazing job. Um, did you see it pre or post the death of Sondheim? I saw it pre the pre yeah. death of Sondheim. Yeah. I can't even imagine watching the diner scene again. Yeah, now. yeah. Um, and it's funny because when um. I recognised that actor playing Sondheim from Get Out. Yeah, yeah. And it took me ages. I was like, I've seen you and you were like kind of a horrible person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and Tim said to me, oh, is that Stephen Sondheim? I said, no, Stephen Sondheim's like a billion years old now. Yeah. I'm like, oh, man. Oh, boy. Yeah. I, um, I went away on like a, we- like a weekend away with um, some friends of mine and I slept at one of their houses on Saturday night and I woke up to him saying, oh, Stephen Sondheim passed away overnight. I was like... Jesus, okay. Like it, yeah. it feels like, yeah, because of this movie, we've just been talking about him. He's just been back in like yeah. the public forefront of our, our minds. He had a new musical coming out, all this sort of stuff. Like it just feels like we've been talking about him so much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, an, an incredible um, movie adaptation. And I, I would agree with you that it'd be great to see more smaller movie musicals come out but you know the last five years is Mm. like two hours of my life I'll never get back and (laughs) that being said Jeremy Jordan is amazing in it but Anna Kendrick (laughs) was like skip watch him sing skip watch him sing um and yeah I I think there's been so many disasters just Mm. in the musical movie musical realm that I just I'm still so hesitant like I'm really hoping West Side Story will be good and I'm really stressed about you know the new oh actually they announced the new Snow White um so Snow White, 
the live action's coming. Okay. And they is her name Rachel Ziegler? She's playing Maria in What's oh, Story. Yeah, yeah, She's yeah. Snow White. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, and Pasek and Paul are going to do their Pasek and Paul thing all over oh. it. Um. <laughs> I, I genuinely love their music. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, can we just come up with something different, please? Oh, <laughs> just, look, it could be worse. It could be Lynn Manuel Miranda. Um, yeah. <laughs> but having said that, he directed Tick Tick Boom so, so, so well. well. And he was only in it for like t- a second. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And even then, it was kind of like, okay, Lynn, you've had your fun. Yeah. Get out of here now. But um, yeah, I, I appreciated that it didn't have, uh, I think, yeah, directorially, it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, I appreciated that he didn't like write a new song for it in the mm. hope for an Oscar grab or, or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. Not very respectful. And it just it, it reinforces the idea that Lin Manuel Miranda is a creative and should ma- like stay a creative. And I think mm. obviously we haven't talked about it yet, but I think one of the biggest pitfalls of Moana is the fact that he sings one of the songs, and it just feels so out of place and jarring. And but we'll obviously I get to that. Love it, <laughs> oh no no no! I love yeah. the song. I no, love the I, song. I don't know. It's one of the few times that I like his voice. Okay, in that, yeah. in that song, but I I, I get it, and I, I've had. Big talks with people about that film and, um, mm. you know, the the difference in inflection and phrasing because of the two languages and blah, blah, blah. We'll yeah, get there yeah, when we get yeah. there. Um, but No, fair enough. Yeah. And it is interesting listening to, because um, when, you know, the movie came out, we listened to the movie soundtrack, but then we went and found the original Broadway soundtrack with Raul Esparza. Oh, yeah. And it's, in a lot of that, it sounds like, he sounds like Lin-Manuel Miranda. So it's like Lin-Manuel's listened to that and gone... That's what I need to sound like because that's what my voice is kind of like. So if I can make it successful like that, mm. yeah. So it's he just does. it's interesting, yeah, yeah. Right. But look, we're not here to dissect Lin Manuel Miranda's uh, directorial debut. We are here to talk about the, the Fox, Fox and, and the, the Hound. Hound. From 1981. I didn't have a track. So. I, I, that's why I saved you. Um, 1981, Fox and the Hound, welcome to the 80s. We are so close to <laughs> the Renaissance. Uh, so, um, oh, the decade I was born. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I feel old while you get your book. I'm just left here to think about the fact that I was born in the 80s. Oh, <laughs> so was I. It's just, I was a little later in the 80s than you. Mm, um mm. So speaking of the Renaissance, um, I found a really interesting breakdown of the eras of Disney. Yeah. Um, okay. That I just think I think is very interesting because we're all kind of familiar with the Renaissance, which mm. you know begins with the Little Mermaid and ends with Tarzan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to us, do you know what? <laughs> do you know what era we're in now? Uh, is this called, I feel like it's called the Silver Age? No, we're out of that. We did do that, though. Okay, yep. So we're currently in the Bronze, okay, which right. yeah, also yeah. is known as the Dark and the Restoration Era. I was going to say, is it the Dark of, Ages? A lot of things happened. So <laughs> okay. basically it began with the Silent Era, which was the 20s. So we had, like, the Alice comedies, Oswald and the Lucky Rabbit, which, you know, is now Mickey Mouse, yep. just in a slightly more squashed form because, you know, Disney's great like that. Because... Um, <laughs> Classic. Oswald was not his. Well, kind of, uh, that's another story. We should, we should go back and do that at some point. Um, <laughs> so then post that we end up in the classic, also known as the Golden Era, which is the late 20s into the early 40s, which is where we get Steamboat Willie, Sim- Silly Symphonies, Snow White, Pinocchio, Fantasia, Bambi. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of like the beginning and they are the true classics. We then go into the package films and war films, which was where we got like Saludos Amigos when he went to, um, well, 
I don't want to say he went to South America. He was kind of like told to get out and yeah, go yeah. there because you know, <laughs> people were like ready to lynch him. Yeah, um, Disney, we love you. Yeah. We love you. But uh, maybe go away for get some a, time. Get away from the riots. Um, <laughs> and that also had like Make Mine Music and Ichabod and Mr. Toad. So we didn't do any of those. No. Um, then we go into the silver era, which is the 50s to the end of the 60s, which is Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Peter Pan, 101 Dalmatians and Mary Poppins. Pretty good movies. Yeah, so that's it. That's the other. It's kind of like the classics, the silver, and then we went to this weird era known as the Bronze Dark Restoration Era, which is the seventies to the late eighties, which is the Aristocats, the Rescuers, the Black Cauldron, which is definitely the dark part of this yeah, era, yeah, yeah. which unfortunately we don't get to cover because there was no music yeah, in it. But yeah. I guess it's a kind of a saving grace because that movie is truly terrible. I haven't seen it. Oh, it's real bad. I just watch it for funsies. <laughs> it's really bad. Make sure you're really drunk. <laughs> okay. Um, and also all. Over and companies in that. Oh. And then we get into the Renaissance. Which is the Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, Tarzan, everything yeah. in between there. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we go into the post-Renaissance slash the millennial era. And yeah. as much as we hate the word millennial, we also like wondered what was going on with these films. So <clears throat> we had Fantasia 2000, which wasn't, wasn't bad. Mm. Um, the Emperor's New Groove. Not bad. Lilo and Stitch. I haven't seen it. I hate it. I hate it so much. And I know a lot of people are going to at me for that. Chicken Little and Bolt. So we started getting into the non-musical films. And then we go into the new renaissance, which is the 2009, the 2009s, 2009 (laughs) to now, which began with the Princess and the Frog. Ah, the old 2009s. (laughs) Which gave us um, Princess and the Frog, Tangled, Frozen, Zootopia, Moana, and now we've got mm, Frozen 2, Encanto. Yeah, okay. Um, So that's where we are now. So we're still considered part of the new renaissance. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because we're still in the land of like musical mm, animations. Yeah. yeah. Um, as much as they are, um, I want to say as much as they are developing um, in a way that like, I know Ryan the Last Dragon isn't a musical and Encanto is very different, but Frozen is still very much the Disney princess, yeah, just slightly yeah. modified, you know? Yeah, and so yeah. Very similar. Okay, interesting. Mm. Yeah, so it's interesting that we're sort of yeah we're sort of at the tail end of this dark age, heading towards the Renaissance. Mm-hmm. Feeling good, feeling good. So before we jump into some stats, yep. Let's uh let's get on the drinks. Alrighty, stackers. Today we are drinking the Bloodhound. The Bloodhound is a cocktail that is. Ahem, it is 60 milliliters. <laughs> I was going to say, I asked Will to be slightly more dramatic when he says this, and this is my fault. Whatever happens now, <laughs> it's my fault. <laughs> 60 milliliters of gin. 30 milliliters of sweet vermouth and 30 milliliters of dry vermouth. Stirred together with ice in a glass and served in a martini glass. I don't intend to make your job difficult, it just happens. <laughs> so this is basically like straight spirits. It's basically a martini, just a yeah. little bit of a twist. So cheers. Martini with a twist. Okay. Mm. It's good. It it's is. It's not bad. I, I don't know that I would choose it 
out of a lineup, but um, it it tastes a bit nothing. Like yeah, like the gin is not really there. It's it, very drinkable. Yeah. Um. So you should just use because you know we're in this wonderful gin renaissance at the moment where you can get yes. flavored gins, you can get all sorts of gins with different botanicals. You should just go for like a standard London dry gin. Um. Because it just it provides the least sort of. Uh, funkiness, I guess, to, and it mixes with Pick even a, with quite well. Your least funky gin for that recipe, <laughs> as usual. The recipe and the photo will be up on uh, our Instagram account at ddd with stackers and will. Um, actually, don't know. I think it's, it's something st- excessively so, long like yeah. that. Yeah, at ddd with stackers and will on Instagram. I think. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, if you want our recipes, go there. <laughs> All right. Um. I think we'll we'll kick off. Let's jump into stats. Uh, let's jump into some some stats. Alrighty, the year is nineteen eighty one, and we aren't born yet. Hooray! Hooray! <laughs> the music and lyrics is a bit of a basket. <laughs> okay, here we go, here we go. So there's a lot of people involved in this, which always makes me very, very concerned. Yeah. Okay, so Best of Friends is written by was written by Richard O. Johnston on music and Stanfield did the lyrics. I have no information on Stanfield. He just he just doesn't exist. Mm. Um, Richard O. Johnston was uh, – actually, I couldn't find him either. These were kind of just like people that happen to do this film and then aren't on Wikipedia. And if you're not on Wikipedia, what did you do with your life? Yeah. Um, yeah. Goodbye, My Someone was uh, – the music was by Richard Rich. What a name. Richard and the lyri- Rich. The lyrics were by Jeffrey Pitch. So Richard Rich and Jeffrey <laughs> Pitch. <laughs> More drinks. The rest of it was written by Jim Stafford. And Jim Stafford was kind of a um, popular folk songwriter yeah okay and i one of his biggest hits was called snakes and spiders i remember when mary lou said you want to walk me home from school well i said yes i do as you just heard, the uh, verses are, are pretty much all spoken. It's kind of like yeah, okay. poetry to like guitar music and yeah. all of his songs were like that. I went through quite a few of them and it kind of explains that weird song that she sings in the car. I think it's called Goodbye. Goodbye may seem forever. Oh, which he didn't write. Okay, yeah, now I'm really confused. But, yeah, it, it, yeah, they're just, I don't know, it seemed like a weird choice. There is a weird sort of, weird sort of hodgepodge of songs in this. I mean, there's not a lot of songs, um, but the songs that are there are very strange. Like, it, it, I almost expected you to say that the two writers of some of the songs were from, like, Sesame Street or something because they ha- almost have a Sesame Street slash Randy Newman-esque vibe to them. Mm. Like that Best of Friends song, which we'll get to, It's um, it, it, that feels like if it was sung by Randy Newman, it could very easily be a song from his catalogue. It just, uh, this musical, or this musical, this movie to me felt very much like a Pearl Bailey showcase Mm. because she is uh, fantastic. And speaking of Pearl Bailey, let's jump into the cast. Um, The score, by the way, was written by by Buddy Baker, who was a good friend of George Bronze. Oh, okay. Who wrote a whole bunch of stuff. A whole bunch of stuff. Okay, so in the cast, this is a stellar lineup. Absolutely stellar. Yes. So Todd and Copper, who are the um, Fox and the Hound, Todd is voiced by Mickey Rooney, who was just an MGM superstar yeah. and also famously the absolute best friend of Judy Garland. Yeah, okay, yep. Um, I read up a little bit on him and he was 
obviously he was like M- one of MGM's most prolific stars and he made a crap ton of money, mm. but he let his son manage all his estate or something <laughs> and his son spent it all and he, when he died, he was in like so much debt. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. File for bankruptcy. My favorite episode of The Simpsons is the um the episode where uh, Radioactive Man comes to film in Springfield. Do you remember that? And Millhouse gets cast as Fallout Boy. No. Well, Mickey Rooney's in that, <laughs> and he's like, t- he ends up dressing up as Fallout Boy to audition for the part. He's like, Jiminy <laughs> Jellicoe. <laughs> it's very funny. <laughs> yeah. So he was he was great. Um. Copper is voiced by Kurt Russell, and all I've written in my notes is he's Kurt freaking Russell. Yeah, that's I. We, we're going to come back to that because <laughs> I could talk for hours about Kurt. I Russell. know, so I won't. Uh, I'll let you do this. Um, but you know, he's Kurt. He's Kurt Russell. I love him in the Hateful Eight. Mm, mm. Um, Big Mama was voiced by Pearl Bailey, who I know as um, the replacement for Carol Channing in Hello Dolly. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So she had um, quite a great career on Broadway, but. To me, that was like her huge, huge role there. And she, oh, I want to say she won, won the Tony for it because it was the revival. So she was up for Best Actress. But right. Might need to fact, fact check myself there. But um, yeah, so she's in it. Then we've got Jack Albertson plays Amos Slade and he was Grandpa Joe and Willy Wonka. Oh. I saw his photo. I was like, I know you, his grandpa. Drew. Right, yeah. Um, okay. Vixie, who is um, Todd's girlfriend in the movie, is voiced by Sandy Duncan, who was Peter Pan in the Broadway revival of the oh, musical okay. Peter Pan. Yep. Um, Widow Tweed is, was voiced by Jeanette Nolan. Now, Jeanette Nolan is married to John McIntyre, who played the Badger. And they did a few films right. together. Actually, they did two. They did The Fox and the Hound and Psycho. Oh. So in Psycho, <laughs> her husband, John McIntyre, plays the sheriff and she plays the voice of Norma Bates, but right. she's uncredited. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that just sounds like a really cute couple. That's quite cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, they also did the rescuers together. So she was Ellie May and he was Rufus. I don't remember who either of those characters were. No. Oh, I think Rufus was the cat. Maybe. Yeah. I don't okay. know, that that yeah. movie was so so forgettable. I do not care enough <laughs> to spend to even the go brain back and power. find it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Pat Buttram was the chief, uh-huh. and he also was Napoleon in the Aristocats. But I think to me, he's very famously the sheriff in Robin Hood. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. voice is unmistakable. It is a very unique accent and a very unique voice. I picked it straight away. Well, greetings from your friendly neighborhood tax collector. Yeah, he's also Luke in the Rescuers. Yep. Um, we've also got the porcupine was voiced by John Fielder, who I feel like had two lines, but was very obviously piglet when he said them. Yeah. Mr. Digger, sir, it was so too an accident. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and speaking of Winnie the Pooh, Boomer was voiced by Paul Winchell, and yep. he's the a woodpecker, mm-hmm. and he's very obviously Tigger. Yeah. yeah. He does the <laughs> like, <laughs> and it kind of made me go really like they let him mm. do that. That's so. It's so Tigger and Winnie the Pooh, yeah. the package film has come out. That is Tigger. Yeah. It, yeah. it was just, it was weird. Strange. Strange yeah. choice. Yeah. Is this it, Boomer? Oh, sure, Dickie. This is the place. I never forget a tree. I never forget a tree. <laughs> the other person of note was the young copper, so who's the young greyhound, was voiced by Corey Fieldman, mm-hmm. who has a little bit of... um. 
you know, the darker side of fame because he was involved in the Michael Jackson case yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of really prolific movies from the 80s he was in as well. Yeah, so he was in Friday the 13th, Gremlins, The Goonies and Stand By Me. So yeah. he was a really big child yeah. actor. And, yeah, that's the uh, that's the cast. You probably don't remember any songs in this movie, so I'm not going to read them out. And, mm. yeah, that's, that's the Fox and the Hound. Yeah, so we need to talk about Kurt Russell for a second. <laughs> okay, here we go. So... I heard uh, on another podcast, Blank Check, which I wish I'd listened to and highly recommend if anyone's looking for further movie podcasts, um, that he, that Walt Disney's last words that he said on his deathbed. He wrote, he wrote down. Yeah, no, no, I know. The, the, the story is that he right. said them. His last words were Kurt Russell. Now, that's not quite true. It, it, Kurt Russell is one of the last things that he wrote uh, before he left his office before going to hospital and, and passing away ultimately. And um, he wrote a list of names. Kurt Russell was one of them. Kurt Russell was working on a, I believe it was a TV series, a Western TV series and a, and a lot adjacent to Disney. And yeah, Disney must've just known that he would be a big star because he wrote his name down. And then Kurt Russell later on signed a 10 year, I think it was a 10, 10 year, year contract. contract exclusively with Disney. And he starred in a number of live action films from in the late sixties through to the seventies. Um, now Kurt Russell is obviously now a huge actor. He's been in so many things. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Hateful Eight. Um, amongst Once Upon a Time other, in Hollywood. Yeah, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood amongst other things. Um his two biggest hits, I think, or the two that at least propelled him into like this gargantuan fame were The Thing and Escape from New York. Mm. Escape from New York was the same year as this film. The Thing was the following year. So this is right as he's just about to shoot off into international stardom. Right. There you go. Yeah. Got that out of your system? I did. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's jump into the synopsis. I'll start with what the film's about because I yep. don't think many people have watched this film. Sure, yeah. Myself included. Had you ever seen this film before? I had, um, but not since I was a child and I did not remember very much at all. I knew nothing. Hmm. The Fox and the Hound tells the tale of two unlikely friends, a fox named Todd and a hound named Copper. They go on many playdates until society, disguised as the dog's owner, tears them apart in a semi-dramatic fashion that sees Copper carted away to learn to be a hunting dog. Before this happens, though, there's an incident involving a train and another dog named Chief who was injured, not killed, injured, which turns Copper and the owner against Todd. There's a whole bunch of filler involving two birds and a caterpillar and in the end Todd rescues Copper from a bear, the hunter forgives Todd and they all live fairly ever after. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Did I miss anything? No, it's pretty much it. It's a very nothing film. Um, oh, I probably should have mentioned Todd is um, hand-raised by um, an elderly mm, woman yeah. who looks a lot like anything Barbara Luddy would have played. Yeah, looks like the um, fairy godmother, looks like... Uh, Oh, not Barbara Luddy, Verna Felton. Verna Felton. Sorry, yeah, yeah, Barbara yeah. Luddy was the other fairy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was like, it's Verna. No, she's dead now. Um, and the bird, so you know I've got the woodpecker and the little sparrow? Yeah. That yeah. sparrow is straight out of Sword in the, Sword in the Stone. Yes, that's what it feels like, yeah. yeah. I was like, I've seen that bird before. <laughs> <laughs> so um, before I, I dig any deeper than that. Yeah. Why don't you read us the original synopsis? All right. So we've got a lovely little tale about two unlikely friends 
it get torn apart and eventually he comes back and he's like, we can't be friends anymore because I'm a hunting dog. And then they become friends and live happily ever after. Okay. And it's a happy, happy film. I, I'm, I'm anticipating not so much happiness. Okay. The Fox and the Hound is a novel that was published in 1967, written by animal trainer and naturalist Arthur Daniel P. Uh, sorry, naturalist author Daniel P. Maddox. In order to truly understand the animals, he raised a pair of foxes himself in order to ensure the actions of the characters were as true to life as possible. Unlike books like The Rescuers, this work is part of a category known as naturalist animal xenofiction. Stories told from the perspective of non-physically anthropomorphized animals living in near-realistic settings. The book begins with an older bloodhound called Copper dreaming about a wild chase. He's awoken by a fox who taunts him by sitting out, uh, sitting just out of reach of his, uh, of his chain. He, this is followed by the arrival of his master, who sets up to take Copper out to track something. We learn that Copper despises a younger hound named Chief, who is master's favourite. They arrive at a lodge, and Copper is handed a piece of cloth uh, as a scent to track. The hunt goes on for a few pages until Copper leads his master and other men to a man floating dead in a pool of water. Uh, Copper smells a bear, but they can't find it before it runs off. I was actually thinking what this film needed was corpses floating <laughs> in pools of water. Um, so it's good that the book addressed yeah, the, that the need. the book addresses that. I think it's really important to just point out straight away, this was not a children's book. Right, okay. Not intended for children. It's very graphic. Yeah. Um, and it's very, it's just, it's not, it's not fluffy at all. This book is not fluffy. Okay. Uh, a few days later, the dogs are taken to another dead guy and Copper immediately smells a bear. They head off to find the bear and there's lots of mention of urine. <laughs> the dogs eventually find the bear and start attacking. The trackers eventually catch up, shoot the bear. The bear lets out a good bout of diarrhoea yet continues to attack. Uh, the bear manages to jump out from under the pile of dogs and pin down Master. Young Chief leaps into action and bites the bear on his balls. <laughs> I yeah, um, I'll come back to that. <laughs> Refusing to let go of his tasty testicles, Chief brings the bear down and Master is then able to finally shoot him dead. Feeling pretty proud of himself that he led the pack to the bear, Copper awaits his praise but is shattered to see that all the credit goes to Chief, the now new leader of the pack. So that's probably one of the first uh, differences is that in the film, Chief is the older dog, yeah, Copper yeah, is yeah, the yeah. younger dog, mm. and then this it's the other way, other around. way around. Yeah, yep. It's interesting that someone read this and went, hmm... Disney. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, we now move over to the world of the fox. As soon as we meet them, the young fox's mother and all of his siblings are killed in a frantic attack on their burrow by men and a bunch of hounds. Fuck. After the massacre, a man picks up our little pup and takes him home to play with his dog. The human calls the fox Todd and raises him like a, a dog. He learns to herd sheep and track scents and in winter grows a giant ball sack that makes him irritated and aggressive. It's always the way. <laughs> Todd comes across two other foxes, uh, one male and one female. After he and the male fox sniff each other's anal glands for a while, the other fox wins the battle and gets it on with the vixen right in front of Todd. Disney! Yeah, Todd resolves that the next time he hears a barking vixen, he will run over and tap that without hesitation. I'm so depressed. After a few pages of Todd discovering that he's super smart and awesome, he discovers the dogs we met in the aforementioned chapter. After his initial visit, he returns a little while later and is chased by the dog known as Chief. 
Todd runs towards a train track. Chief chases Todd onto the tracks and just before the train collects them both, Todd jumps off, leaving Chief to be hit and killed by the giant locomotive. So in the book, that's intentional. So Todd's mm. been to the train track before he got chased by the train and worked out the train always goes in a straight line. Right. So when yeah, he's trying yeah, to get yeah. away from Chief, he's like, I know how I can get him killed. And that's wow. how that happens. Okay. Yeah. Um, the master finds Chief and after collecting his body, shouts something out into the universe and leaves. The Master and Copper chase the fox for an entire chapter and there are more mentions of urine. In the next chapter, Master and Copper chase Todd some more and Todd finally bones a vixen. Another chapter over and Todd is has a lot of sperm in his testicles that makes him super territorial. Far out. Uh, Todd and his vixen have a litter of pups and Mama is getting tired. For a while, Todd isn't allowed to enter the burrow where the vixen and pups lay, but slowly she re-allowed him entry and even let him lick their anuses with his tongue. Fuck me. Um, Just, you know, some context. So because he was a he was a naturalist, like he's yeah, an yeah. animal. So he's trying to just tell you how animal life is. But young foxes, they don't know how to clean their butts properly, yeah. unlike, you know, cats. Um, mm. and so basically if their parents don't clean their butts for them, that will clog up and they'll <laughs> they'll die. <laughs> <laughs> You're the worst. It's like talking to a child. Man, imagine dying from a clogged butthole. <laughs> That'd suck. But they're blind, and I get cats are too. But cats, cats are just smart. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> uh, Mama and Papa Fox teach the pups how to hunt beetles and such. Once again, Copper and the Master come for the foxes. They find their den, and after much mayhem, Master manages to kill one of the pups using a gas in their burrow. Grim. He kills all the pups. Uh, kill, yeah, kill all the pups. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Wipes and them all. In the next chapter, the master starts laying down fox traps everywhere. Whilst this doesn't catch Todd, it does catch a poor mink, and I had to skip this part because I was eating, and that bit was gory. Todd spends the whole chapter running around, finding and setting off the traps. Eventually, Todd does get caught in a trap and is unable to get his foot free. He tries chewing off his own foot, but fails. After much struggling, Todd does manage to get free, but his leg is badly, badly wounded. Being chased by a master and copper, he falls into a river and manages to drag himself ashore to keep moving. He manages to lose them and is found nearly dead by his vixen. She brings him back to a burrow and hunts for him until he is strong enough to leave with her. Knowing that this guy was a naturalist and that he studied their actual behaviours, it concerns me that he has described him as being in a trap and trying to chew off his own foot. But I guess that's what they do. Like, yeah, no, absolutely. But does that, like, did he put him in a trap to see what he'd do? Or? He's probably aware because, like, fox hunting was a really big oh, yeah, thing. Oh, yeah, true, true. You know, okay. in the mid-20th century, so. I won't think this guy's the worst just yet. Winter sets in and, very sadly, Vixen is caught in a trap and taken by the master. Slowly, the fox population in the area is dwindled down to nearly nothing. Todd mates with another Vixen and continues to dodge all traps. The next hunt involves men on horseback with guns. Copper leads the pack and eventually picks up the scent of a fox. The chase goes for another chapter, but Todd gets away. Todd's vixen has a litter of pups and all is well, until the next attack anyway. The pups are half grown and start to hunt on their own. The man is now using a record player to make the sound of a squealing rabbit. One by one, the pups are going to check it out, only to be shot and stood on. Oh, no. The man eventually changes the sound to that of a struggling fox. The vixen leaps to rescue her last pup and is shot and killed. Todd is now alone and on the run. The man keeps finding him and trying to shoot him. His next deadly plan involves balls of poison. Todd is now finding crazed foxes everywhere and many others that are already dead. But it's not just foxes. The woods are now full of dead animals that have eaten the poison and Todd is starting to starve. So that's basically... Um, I kind of la di dad through a lot of details, but... 
the the guy that owns copper, yeah. there's something going on with the land and people want him to sell the land. He sells his entire pack of dogs so he doesn't end up destitute and keeps copper. And then uh, he's basically alone and going crazy over this fox. And then the townspeople come to him and say, there's rabies everywhere. Mm. Can you help? And he's like, well, I want to kill this fox. So he um, gets balls of fat and puts a little like acid pill in right, them yeah, and just yeah, drops yeah. them everywhere. And he hopes that he'll catch the fox. <sighs> and Todd picks one up, but he goes to carry it somewhere um, so he can sort of like s- quietly eat it, but he drops it and it opens and he smells the acid. And yeah. He knows. But that's why the animals are crazy because yeah. they've got rabies and then they're eating this stuff and dying. Jesus. Yeah, it's full on. The man now releases some greyhounds into the woods who almost catch him, but once again he survives. After a full day of chasing the fox with Copper at his side, Master finally manages to chase down and kill Todd. The ending of the story resolves thus. The Master, having finally killed the fox he has hunted for years and years, has fallen into a deep alcoholic depression. This is the final passage. The Master made him lie down and then held one hand over his eyes. Copper lay trustingly and contentedly. I hate where this is going. Mm -hmm. The Master knew best. He did recall the good times they had together and this last great run... A day and a night and part of another day. Of course he did. Copper gave the master's hand one last lick. He did not care what happened as long as he would never be separated from the master for he had killed the great fox and in this miserable, fouled land there was no longer any place for fox, hound or human being. And they all lived happily ever after. That story can get fucked. Yeah, so it's actually a really good read. Like, yeah, yeah. It, um, it's... Dense. It's yeah. only ten chapters long, but it is two hundred and forty-seven pages long. So they are long wow. chapters, yeah, yeah. and it's kind of like every uh, every chapter in the I want to say the last five is a chase, okay. and it's you know first they're just looking with the dog, and then they get the horses and the poison and the gas, and you know it's like every chapter is a new one. But yeah. before we get to that, there's just here's what's going on in Todd's life for like right. five pages, and then we get to that bit and. You know, eventually you're like, oh, my God, just get to, like, what happens in this <laughs> chapter. But um, I think he he was trying to do a really good job of giving it a very realistic setting and being like, this is what this is what the life of a fox is like. This yeah. Is what they do. Yeah. Sort of like educational um, slash, you know, um, slash fictional. But, yeah, these these books sort of um, get classified as children's books and they're, they're really not. Like, yeah. Like, the language and the, you know, kind of like biological things he tells yeah. you about these animals. <laughs> Kids don't want to know that. No. Um, but Wooly Ritherman uh, got the rights for Disney because his son really liked the book. Right. And that's how they okay. set it up in the Disney lap. <laughs> now, aside from there is a fox and a hound in it and the train thing, uh, there's nothing really that similar. No. Because there's no friendship between the fox there's and the no hound. Friendship. Um, no. There's no elderly neighbor who no raises the fox. No, but the fox does get um, pulled out. So basically, the the story starts with hunters kill his entire family. Yeah, and then he's hiding, and someone takes him home, raises him, raises him a little bit with the dog, and then sets him free, and that that's yeah. it. Okay. So what happened? There's like a bit of a conspiracy theory. The book came out in '67. And Disney secured the rights almost instantly. I want to say it was like 1968. Mm -hmm. The film came out in 1977. So there was almost 10 years in between. Uh, 81. 
Sorry, the film began production in 1977. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. yeah it came yeah. out in 1981. So there's almost 10 years in between getting the rights and actually starting working on this film. Right. Yeah. And in between there, there is a second book that's released and that's called The Ballad of the Bellstone Fox and that comes out in 1970. Yeah. Now, another film company buys the rights to that book and releases a film in 1973. Right. And that one tells the story of a fox who is hand-raised with a hound and is trained to become like a hound and befriends a hound. Right. And then um, the owner thinks that he will now have like a fox that's like a bloodhound but has like awesome other skills and um, eventually they hit a point where he realises they're not going to kill any foxes because he's a fox and he's best friends with a fox. Yeah, And so they have to tear them apart and train the dog to be like a proper hunting dog, oh, which, which is much more similar yeah, to yeah, this film. Yeah, yeah. But the rights for that had been bought by this other company who did a live-action version of it. Yeah. And um, funnily enough, in the 70s, the book that this was based on, The Fox and the Hound, went out of print mysteriously. And all of a sudden in 1977, Disney's got this film which is an adaptation of The Fox and the Hound, but seems to have taken a lot of stuff from The Ballad of the Bellstone Fox. And by putting The Fox and the Hound out of print, no one can really go and find that and be like, this is nothing like that movie. Yeah, yeah, okay. And so that's how, like, the adaptation kind of comes into it. And that's a conspiracy theory, (laughs) but it it, it kind of plays out. It kind of plays out because this film is really dark and that's why when they got the rights... Instantly they went, it's it's off-brand. There's mm. so much mm. death and it's dark. It's it a is dark very dark. book, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, so many animals die in yeah. this in this book. Two litters of pups. Yeah. Um, both of the vixens that he mates with, they both die. Mm. It's not a happy story. But yeah, they've clearly just gone, Oh, that we had a film about a fox. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, <laughs> just, just a little little something something. Little something something. So this is the last film that was made with any of the remaining members of the nine old men. Right. Yeah. This is a game changer, this film, mm. in the world of Disney. So in the um the year it came out, it was the fourteenth highest grossing film of the year. Uh, it made $39.9 million in the USA. And at the time, that was the most expensive animated film ever made to date. Wow. $12 million. Yeah, okay. The Black Cauldron, which followed this, outdid it and was like $20 million or something. Oof. And was one of the biggest failures <laughs> of Disney and nearly sunk the entire company. Swings and roundabouts, so- <laughs> Disney. Swings and roundabouts. Um, okay, so basically this was originally directed by Wooly Ratherman. Yeah. And Art Stevens. And Art Stevens was a newer animator. And they had a lot of creative differences. They were arguing about a lot of things all the time. And Wooly Ritherman was basically very used to having a lot of control over the actual animation. Mm. And we've got new animators in now. And they're basically like, get the fuck off my desk. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so the new animators have, have like got a lot to say about how Wooly Ritherman does things and mm. he's saying this is the way it's always been done and they're like, yeah, but give us a chance to show what we can do as opposed to do what you're telling us to do. Exactly, yeah. And basically there was a huge turning point or breaking point when it came to whether or not Chief dies or is injured. Okay, yeah. And so originally Chief was going to die. Yeah. And then I think Ron 
Clements and Don Bluth, they were all for that, but Wooly Reitherman and Art Stevens said, we can't kill a main character in a Disney movie. Okay. So they're like, we can't do that. He's just going to injure himself. Wooly Reitherman would be turning in his perpetual motion grave. And so Don Bluth and Ron Clements Mm. are like, what the fuck? The entire purpose yeah. of those characters forever hunting the fox mm-hmm. is he killed the dog. Yeah. You yeah. can't just say, he broke my dog's leg, so now I'm going to spend the rest of my life hunting yeah, him. Yeah, like, it yeah. doesn't make any sense. And I 100% agree. I think it's such a weak premise Yeah, to be like, yeah. this dog is hit by a freaking steam drain. Yeah. Hits a number of rocks on the way down, yeah. lands in water. If he's not dead yet, he's going to drown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then all he did was break a leg. Like- yeah. Angie and I were watching it and she was like, we've already had one animal death. Are we having to do another one? And then like two minutes later, she's like, hang on, he just broke his leg? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> his back, maybe. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, basically Don Bluth and Ron Clements were like, what the actual fuck? Yeah. Um, what's the point of doing the movie? Yeah. And Don Bluth left. He yeah, was like, okay, that was the straw. Fuck okay. this. We can't have any say. This is meant to be our movie. I'm leaving and I'm taking 14 animators with me. Yeah, okay. And so he leaves and he starts Bluth Productions, mm. which turns into something else. Uh, I believe it's bought out by maybe DreamWorks. Yeah. Who did Anastasia? Is it DreamWorks? That's a DreamWorks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he starts Don Bluth Productions and he's basically like, we're going to do Disney but better. And Mm. so they create something about a nymph. Oh, yeah. um, uh, The sign of the nymph. It's something like that. And Your name escapes me, but I know what you're talking about. It's a relatively big success. And later on, they're going to try and absolutely sink Disney in the 80s until finally (laughs) we get to 88. And and American (laughs) Tale is a fucking banger movie. It's a great movie. And I I really wish we could cover it. Maybe maybe one day as a bonus. Bonus episode. So um, basically Don Bluth leaves and only at this point Mm. does Wooly Rydman finally step down. Because the whole time they're like, you've got to step down, mate. Like, it's time to let go. And uh, he steps down. As soon as Don Bluth leaves, he takes a swag of animators. They're like, how are we going to get this film finished? They push the release date by a year because all of a sudden they've got no one to work on it. He steps down and uh, and now we're we're going to get things going again. Now, in this new team, I sort of mentioned this last time, but... This is the exciting, the exciting list of animators. <laughs> so, amongst the uh, the new animators that are in town, we have John Lasseter, oh, who shit. becomes the king yeah. of Pixar, and yeah. you know gave us Toy Story and Beyond. I think he's a bad dude now, but yep, yeah, like, but at the time, at the time, <laughs> yeah. um, we've got John Musker and Ron Clements, yep. who are responsible for basically everything from Little Mermaid to Moana. Uh, and The Great Mouse Detective. We talk about their film next. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, we've got Glenn Keane. Yep. We've got Tim Burton. No shit. Yeah. So Tim Burton worked on a couple of films, including this one. Yeah. And he did a whole bunch of concept art and none of it made it into any of the films. <laughs> so <laughs> Tim Burton basically, yeah, he started as a, um, a concept artist at Disney. Yeah, yeah. And his stuff always looked like his stuff. You can find some drawings from some of these films and yeah, it just looks like Tim Burton. It does mm. not fit the Disney model and it, it kind of surprises me they kept him on because he, yeah. he's so different. He's so, like, macabre. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so he started making a couple of little films and Frankenweenie got picked up. Yeah, okay. And 
that uh, caught the eye of another company that has left my brain, but they gave him Beetlejuice. Yeah. And Beetlejuice was massive. Yeah, yeah. So because Beetlejuice was massive, they gave him Batman. Batman was massive. And Batman, he wanted to cast Michael Keaton as Batman. Yeah. And everyone said no. Producers were like, we're going to pull our money. This is going to be a failure. Oh, wow. Um, no one wanted him in there. And the only reason they were like, oh, all right, is because he made Jack Nicholson the Joker. Yeah. But everyone was like, this is going to be a failure. Fans were flipping out because mm. to that date... Michael Keaton had kind of been a like, sort of comedic. Yeah, well, Beetlejuice yeah. is very he's like gross ripped. out comedic yeah. almost. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. he's not like a ripped buff superhero. No, and no. Tim Burton's stance on it was Batman should be an ordinary guy yeah. who happens to put on this outfit and completely like a Superman sort of thing, you know, like no yeah. one would expect it. You take the glasses off. And, and then, you know, yeah. with someone else. And, of course, Batman was a massive success mm. and – um. And so all of a sudden, like, his name is, <laughs> you know, highlighted. <laughs> like, this guy knows what he's doing. Just have all our money. Mm. And after that, um, they greenlight Nightmare Before Christmas. Speaking of the Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> just uh, for anyone who is on our Patreon, and if you don't currently subscribe to our Patreon, you can at patreon.com slash dissectingdisney. Our December movie is going to be The, the Nightmare, Nightmare Before, Before Christmas. Christmas. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> I've never actually watched all the way through before. <gasps> I've watched so many times. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I watched like the first two songs and then I'm like, I'm going to come back to this later and then I never come back to oh, it. Oh, it's amazing. Mm. And so they greenlight The Nightmare Before Christmas, but they also offer him, is it Batman Returns? Is that the sequel? Yes. So they give him Batman Returns and there's a huge clash with um, scheduling. Yeah. So that's why he didn't direct The Nightmare Before Christmas Henry Selleck did, who was yeah. also one of the new animators on this list. Okay. So Henry Selleck did Nightmare Before Christmas, James and the Giant Peach and Coraline. Yeah. And so the Nightmare Before Christmas is only produced by Tim Burton. It is, the concept is his, mm. the story is officially by someone else and it's directed by someone else. The artwork looks very much like his as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So all the design and the basic yeah. basic storyline is his, but then he's had to give it to someone else to be like, make this a thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what a what a turn of events. Yeah. And mm. then obviously he has Batman Returns and, you know, now he's mm. Tim Burton and now he ruins Disney live action films. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> have you ever, have you watched those Tim Burton Batmans? Uh, yeah, but. Such a long time ago. Watching them back to back, because um, Angie and I watched through Tim Burton's catalogue a number of years ago. We just started at the start and went through. Um, watching Batman and Batman Returns back to back, it is so different, the contrast. Like, it's clear that Batman was such a success, so the studio's gone, okay, Tim, you can have more control over your design and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and the Batman Returns is so much more a Tim Burton movie than Batman is. Yeah. It's very, very strange. Yeah, yeah. so much love there. Mm. As well as those guys, we've also got Brad Bird in there who um, directed oh, wow. The Incredibles. Yeah, 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 and The Iron Giant. Yeah, and The Iron Giant. Far out. This, this team is just... Awesome. Even though this is the Dark Ages, this is an incredible time. This is the beginning. This Far is the beginning. Out. And to round off that list, we've got Chris Buck, who we know is the co-director of Frozen. Let it go, let it go. I am one with the wind and sky. Ah, shit. Okay. Yeah, yeah so... There are some big deal mm, people in mm. this list. These are the new animators mm. that people like Willie Ritherman are like, no, nah, 
excuses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wooly, you're, you're an old man now. Stop being an old man. Yeah, so um, the times, they are a-changing. Um, the Disney Channel is about to start, so that mm-hmm. kicks off in 1983. Yep. And then Disney branches out to get an adult film branch, which becomes Touchstone's pictures in yeah, 1984 yeah. Mm. probably learning from their et and um <laughs> what was it ET uh, raiders. And, and raiders the lost Ark yeah. mistakes <laughs> and just after this as well everyone gets kicked out of the top and we get katzenberg and eisner yeah so things are coming and we'll talk more about that when we get into the next film because we're only at the start of the 80s mm. so this film is just super exciting because everything is changing. So yeah. the remaining members of the nine old men, which included Ollie Johnson and Frank Thomas are still around. They were only there for like the first year and a half of this. And then mm. they basically handed over the reins and said, you guys finish it. Yeah. Yeah. So, which is why I think um, the Vixen, when I saw her, I was mm. like, she looks like a Renaissance Disney. Yeah. The eyes, yeah. it looks very Nala. Yeah. Like yeah. you can tell. Things that's have changed. Where it's yeah. Things have changed. Yeah. And that's why I was really excited for this film because I'd never seen it before. Mm. People told me it'd make me cry. It did not, but um, <laughs> it's very Bambi. You know, it opens, the mother gets shot. Yeah. Let's go from there. Yeah. What a time to be alive. Um, but, or yeah, so that's, uh, that's The Fox and the Hound. All right. Well, that sounds pretty good. Uh, should we get stuck into the songs? Yes. All time right. for a, an impromptu ad break. But... <laughs> Hey guys, Will here. It's uh, it's it's uh, nine o'clock. It's time for the drive home with Will and the ad read. Um, guys, firstly, thank you everyone for your continued support of the show. We are fast approaching the end of 2021, and it's been a really exciting year for us getting the show off the road, so off the ground. So thank you so much. Um, especially thank you to our Patreons whose continued support we really really grateful for. We couldn't make the show without you guys. So thank you, thank you so much. If you would like to join us at Patreon, you can at patreon.com slash DissectingDisneyDiddy, where I've already discussed this uh, evening that our December bonus episode is going to be The Nightmare Before Christmas, but you will gain instant access to all of the bonus episodes we have up until now, as well as any future bonus episodes, um, some merch that's happening, uh, other exciting stuff as we sort of keep growing the show um yeah but look if you are unable to support us on patreon that is absolutely fine the best thing you can do to help us out is just spread the word to your friends and family pester them it's coming up to christmas it's what a time to start asking the question what is your favorite disney song or what is the best disney song but that's it guys back to the show need to do a techno remix of that. Dissecting Disney Ditties. 20th episode 20, we are going to do a new a new you reckon? theme and what? I think it's going to be like a remix version of that. What is this? Episode 17. 17. We're yeah, close. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well that that would tie us in with the Renaissance end. So 18 <gasps> will be uh Great Mouse Detective, 19, 19 will be Oliver Concoe, 20's the little if any of our listeners have uh, some ideas for what our theme song might sound like, feel free to share them with us. Yeah. We, we would love to hear what your ideas are. Even if we ultimately uh, choose something else, we still want to hear what your theme, what your ideas are. So please yes, send them through. Yes, we do. On Instagram at DDD with Stackers and Will. I Come think that's us. it. Yeah. Come find us. All right. 
Song number one. How are you feeling? Best of friends. When you're the best of friends Having so much fun together You're not even aware You're such a funny pair You're the best of friends Life's a happy game Look, it could just be because of what's popular at the time and maybe the stylings of the time, but that song, like I said, it feels very much like a Sesame Street song or a Muppets movie song or even an early Randy Newman song. I get the Muppets thing mm. now that I've heard that. Yeah. I, it sounds like white guys trying to write songs that suit a fantastic mm. African-American woman. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's all right. It's just nothing. My nothing about this film is mind blowing. No, <laughs> no, no, it's not. Um, and yeah, the songs are not mind blowing. Um, but she, her voice is great, and I really like her. I do love her. Stackers, I rated best of friends. Two for music, a two for lyrics, a two for animation, a two for contribution, and a zero for cake. <laughs> and I gave it. The exact same score. Hey! <laughs> you know what? We've had a, an episode where you've been like more generous than me, an episode where I've been more generous than you. Maybe this is the episode where we're going to just where we lock in. Match. Fucking yes. Yeah, I'm going for a, a clean sweep of matching scores. I don't think it'll happen. But well, you know what? We've started off strong. There's so few songs. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wrong. I really have nothing to say about this song. Yeah, it, it sounds like, I don't know, a song that could have opened any TV show in the 70s. Yeah, it does. It feels like a like a um, full house or something, yeah. you know? The best of friends. You can just see them in slow motion <laughs> jumping yeah. on the couch. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. This is the song they should have used for Scrubs when they did like the, <laughs> the sitcom episode. Yes. JD's sitcom fantasy will be back after these messages. All right, cool. Um, but yeah, now we get into a song called something about education. Lack of education. If you pal around with that copper hound, you'll wind up hanging on the wall. Keep your nose to the wind and you keep your skin Cause you won't be home when the hunter comes a call Oh, Big Mama, I know Copper would never track me down. It's like Duke Ellington meets bluegrass hillbilly yeah, music. Yeah. It's so weird. And it feels so disjointed because it sounds like the fiddles are going at a different tempo to the, the singer. Yeah. And it just feels so weird. I just... Yeah, I don't know. It almost feels like they recorded two versions, like a hillbilly bluegrass version. Yeah. And then uh, they were like, oh, no, we need to make it, you know, more more jazzy and cool because she's jazzy and cool. Mm-hmm. What do we do? Just put them over the top of each other. It'll work. Yeah. It's about the same. Yeah. You've put the wrong tape in. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Cut it together. Yeah. <laughs> Cut, yeah, print, yeah, go. Yeah. Um, How do you write this song? It's a, it's a hot mess, but uh, I thought it was kind of cute. Yeah. I gave it two for music, two for lyrics, two for animation, three for contribution to story, one for cake. Ooh. Only because the lack of education thing. <laughs> no, that that opening clip where she's sort of like speak rhyming. Yeah, I thought it was fun. It reminded me a lot of Thomas O'Malley. The oh, yeah. GSF Casey, yeah. like the lack of education. Like it just felt very similar. <laughs> I gave it a two for music and a two for lyrics. 
I gave it a, a one for animation mm-hmm. and I gave it a one for contribution and a zero for cake. Yep, so not the same. You've ruined it. Yeah, I know. I know. We, we were off to such a good start. We were. <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah. Our, it's our differences that make us special. And you are very, very special. Oh, thank you. Is that because I'm just very, very different? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really have nothing to say about these songs. It's, it's kind of funny seeing those two styles merged mm, mm. when you – when you think about the history of bluegrass music, so bluegrass music is basically the white man's version of blues. Yeah. Um, and just when they were looking to kind of split and segregate genres, folk music was one of those genres where like white people and black people did it. And right, yeah. it's kind of all the same. And then they're like, well, how do we, um, how do we make like a, a really white version of this? Mm, and they mm. looked at, blues music and the banjo which is an african we think or african originated instrument like west african oh very cool okay. and was used by a lot of african americans in their sort of folk blues music all yeah. of a sudden has been completely <laughs> yeah. um you know owned by the white man now and we think bluegrass banjo white people um yeah. but it's just funny to then go we're going to overlay it with jazzy bluesy mm. music which mm. is absolutely owned by African-American people and we're going to like merge the two. Yeah. I can see what they're trying to do with this film in terms of talking about race and bigotry in Mm. that, you know, the fox and the hound can't be together because they don't belong in each other's worlds. Yeah. Um, I can definitely see that. It just feels so (laughs) ham-fisted though. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's because it's so old now and we are looking at it through a 21st century lens, but yeah, it just feels so like clobbered over the head with this is the theme of this movie um but i mean look good on them for trying yeah romeo and juliet did better yeah okay let's move on to the next forgettable song hunting man song i didn't i didn't rate this because i didn't hear it that's all right um i'll play it anyway we won't worry about rating it though because this is the whole song Rather have a dog than a dollar. So let's go banjo ringling a ding ho. Give a little hoot and a holler. That's it. I do remember it because I went, thank God I'm a country boy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. uh, I didn't notice Grandpa Joe's voice when I was watching the movie, but now that you've said it's him, I'm like, yeah, okay. That's Grandpa (laughs) Joe. Far out. Look at me. Up and about. I haven't done this in 20 years. But look, since we're not uh, rating that, we'll head straight into this goodbye song. I I didn't write down the proper titles. What's this song called? Song is a strong word. Goodbye may seem forever. Goodbye may seem forever. We met, it seems, such a short time ago. You looked at me. Needing me so. Yet from your sadness, our happiness grew. Who died? (laughs) That's what I want to know. You know what? Her happiness died. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. So this song takes place when uh, she's driving the fox Mm. out into the middle of nowhere to set it free Mm, because, you know, he... I want to say he sort of fucks shit up, but he didn't 
Real. He didn't really do anything. He didn't really do um, anything. It was it, he just exists, and the Amos is not a nice guy. No, he's not a nice guy. He's violent. He's angry. Yeah. Yeah. But either way, it's kind of like it's something I would expect someone to read at a funeral. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like I would, I'd, I'd, I'd probably roll my eyes if someone pulled this out at a funeral. I'd be like, Jesus, are we really doing this? Um, but uh, yeah, no, you're right. It is something that we would say at a funeral. It's um, very akin to the current popular folk style of that spoken verse, mm, slightly yeah. sung chorus. Yeah. That's, that's cool at the mm. moment. Mm. I did not rate it well. Um, neither did I. I gave it a zero for music. Will. A one for lyrics. Uh-huh. A one for animation. A one for contribution. And a zero for cake. Ouch. Okay. I gave it a one for music because mm. the music in the background was okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave it a two for lyrics for effort. Yeah, <laughs> they get a participation award. <laughs> there was words. <laughs> I gave it a two for animation because I think the animation of the fox is very beautiful. I think his heartbreak in his eyes when he's like, oh, are we going out? Are you leaving me here? Mm, like mm. I was like, oh, baby. Um, I gave it a one for contribution and a zero for cake. Yeah. I don't tend to remember spoken words. Yeah. <laughs> Who came out of this movie going, ah, that banger that she sang as she was driving <laughs> the, the fox to the forest. You better Ooh. read that at my funeral. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's goodbye, whatever the song's called. Yeah, I'm sure someone really loved it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we come to the final song in the movie, which, uh, again, uh, as these movies tend to do, takes place like half an hour before the end of the film, something like that. I, I don't know what it's called. I, I, I called it the fuck song. It's called Appreciate the Lady. When you have a natural attraction, you deserve a mutual reaction. You're going to get a whole lot of satisfaction. Here's all you got to do when you feel that it, it, it feels very much the same as the education song where they've got this bluegrassy background and her wonderful vocals um, trying to combine them. This feels like it's more cohesive than the other song. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's just me personally because of the style of song that they're going for. Yeah. It, it just makes Pearl Bailey feel very one-trick pony-ish. She's so mm. great. I. She definitely feels underused. Yeah. yeah. Then again, they shoehorn. She gets three of the four songs. Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't know. And the other one's not even really a song. Yeah. Maybe that was supposed to be Pearl as well, but she looked at it and went, mm, I'm not speaking no. that. <laughs> I do really like um, her animation. I'll post the video on the socials, but basically the way that Al moves, mm. that's kind of how she was moving in the booth, just with big arm oh, gestures. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why the owl is very expressive with its mm. wings. She was certainly not kind of a... <laughs> dumpy square like yeah. the owl is. But, um, yeah, just that kind of like gracefulness. It's I get she's a very stereo. She's a stereotype in that film, of course, the one African-American creature yeah, is going to yeah. be called Big Mama. Yeah. But, uh, you know, she's Disappointed to learn it was not Martin Lawrence dressed up as the owl. What? Big, <laughs> Big Mama's house, the uh, 
the classic Martin Lawrence comedy from 2002, 2001? It was not. Yeah, it, but uh, look, I think she's great. I just don't think this film does anything particularly wonderful for her. That being said, no. she's the best thing about the film. Oh, so. no, she is, yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's a shame that this is the movie that she decided to do or that she was convi- you know, talked into doing or... However it came about, I think she would have been much better suited in, you know, a, a Little Mermaid or a, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, how'd you rate this song, Stackers? I gave it two for music, mm-hmm. one for lyrics, two for animation. I'm just trying to think of what happened in this scene. It is very much a, a romance scene. It's He meets Vixen, the Vixen, for the first time. Is it the Vixen or Vixen? Her name's Vixie. Vixie, that's it, yes. Uh, he meets Vixie. They go on a bit of a, a little frolic um yeah i remember liking it at the time again it's there can you feel the love <laughs> didn't tonight? make a Just huge a bit more. imprint yeah <laughs> you know. um i gave it two for contribution because i i do like i actually find it very funny when what's the owl's name big mama big oh yeah um <laughs> martin lawrence's big when mama. she she's like please let him catch a fish yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> You're right. That was very. That was, that was very, very funny. funny. Yeah. 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 <laughs> She's like, just stop. Just yeah. Stop. Oh, what are you doing? <laughs> um. So yeah, I gave it a, a two for contribution, a zero for cake because I don't remember it. Yeah, we're pretty close. Um, I gave it a two for music, and a two for lyrics. I gave it a two for animation, a one for contribution, and a zero for cake. Right. And that's all the songs. Um, yeah, we just have this sort of extended chase sequence um, with the traps, things like that. There's a fire, there's smoke, uh, and in the end... There's a fire, there's smoke does that th- they just run through. Yeah. And then does does Todd save the human or does he save Copper? I actually forget how it ends. He's running. The bear... Oh, that's right, the bear. The bear yes. attacks Copper. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he runs away. Yeah, that's right, because he gets to the waterfall and yeah. the bear comes out, attacks him, and he comes back in miraculous time because it looks like they'd be so far away by mm, that point. Mm, yeah. And, um, oh, yeah, that's right. He leaves Vixen safe on the other side, comes back, bites it on the ear. Mm. And then how's the bear die? Does the guy shoot it? Uh, he shoots it in the arm. Yeah, I think it falls off the waterfall. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it chases him to the log. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. And the log breaks and it falls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, that's that's Fox and the Hound from 1981. A forgettable yet very, very important, exciting movie. Like- yeah. <laughs> and I actually didn't hate it while I was watching it. Look, I enjoyed that a lot more than I did The Rescue. It. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're getting better. <laughs> I thought it was a nice film. It just wasn't wow. Mm, yeah. 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 Very forgettable, but. Nice, whereas The Rescuers was boring. Yeah, yeah. But uh, look, that brings us to everyone's favourite uh, segment, Stackers. Are you ready for... Angie's Anecdotes. Angie was very upset with me making watch her, her watch this movie um, because of the, the fact that it starts off with murder. Don't, you know. don't let her read the book. No, <laughs> I, I definitely will not. Do not listen to this episode, Angie, although it's too late by this point. Um, but later on in the movie... As the the frost melts and we get to the springtime and you know Todd's everyone's living happily ever after the 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 woodpecker's still trying to get this damn caterpillar oh. and it comes out of its hole and it turns has turned into a butterfly and it's so pretty and it floats away. Angie just says, uh, "Imagine waking up one day to find out you could fly and were hotter." <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Angie's anecdotes. I was actually thinking, why did they make the worm green? It looks like a caterpillar. This makes yeah. no oh, sense. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> and then it turns out it was. It turns out it was a caterpillar. And yeah. it's so cute. It, it is, looks yeah. a lot like um, the caterpillar or the the insects that you saw in sort of like morning melodies and, and that sort of thing. It looked very old school Disney and yeah. I thought it was gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, it was. But also we did not need any of that. No. It was a lot, like it didn't really amount to anything. Filler, filler. Yeah, those characters didn't impact the story at, at all. all. Very strange, but it's fine, whatever. Yeah. No, didn't didn't hate it. Winning song, winning song, winning oh, song. Shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is the winning song? The winning song was The Best of Friends. If only the world would get in the way. If only people would just let you play. They say you're both being fools. You're breaking all the rules. They can't understand the magic of your wonderland. <laughs> Which tied for first place oh. with lack of education. If you pal around with that copper hound, you'll wind up hanging on the wall. Keep your nose to the wind and you'll keep your skin cause you won't be home when the hunter comes to call. Oh, big mama, I know copper would never track me down. Wow, that's our first tie. That's our first tie. It puts them both in the 50s. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> definitely not changing. It's, there's a lot of songs that have scored 16 points. The Elegant Captain Hook, oh, yeah, La La yeah. Lou, yep. I Wonder, mm-hmm. Sleeping Beauty, Whistle Stop, because <laughs> you operated it. Hey, um, hey. <laughs> best of Friends and Lack of Education. And when you look at that, they are all rather meh songs. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, not really surprising, I guess. But, yeah, it's interesting that we got a tie. That's very cool. Mm. Um, yeah. So our next episode, Stackers, is going to be The Great Mouse Detective. From, from 1986. 19... Again, before we were born. Yes. yes we can still live with that. <laughs> um, however, at this point in time, it's unlikely that that episode is going to release before Christmas. We're very sorry, but some uh, life stuff has come up. We're probably not going to be able to record it. Uh, because it's due out on Christmas Day. And you probably don't want to listen to it on Christmas Day because you're too busy, uh, too busy getting drunk with your friends and family. Yeah, and asking them what the best Disney what song is. What is the best Disney song? And having many arguments like I do. But our bonus episode, The Nightmare Before Christmas, will be out before Christmas, mm-hmm. if not on Christmas. Yep. And you have access to that if you support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Dissecting Disney. <laughs> so, yeah, look, from all of us here at Dissecting Disney Diddies, all of me and Stackers... Uh, <laughs> uh, have a safe and wonderful break, um, and we will see you then. Until next time, I'm Stackers. And I'm Will. Bye. Bye. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network, with gig speeds everywhere. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply.